Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. I am your host, Spencer Dirks, alongside, as always, Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob, good to see you again. It's been a while. Yes. Yes, we missed last week. Yeah, apologies. I know we've got a lot of loyal listeners out there. I was sick last week. Had a cold turn into an ear infection, so postponed it. We were going to try to do it on Wednesday, but I ended up going to the doctor on Wednesday. So I've got some antibiotics, feeling much better, chopping at the bit to get back with you and excited for another episode. Yes, me too. Anything off the bat that you want to talk about? Anything over the past week or two that you've been involved with or seen any candidates or anything like that? Well, there hasn't been a lot of candidates around the area. Um, I went to Storm Lake for the annual Iowa Farmers Union, you know, get together convention. Their numbers are growing. It's uh, nice. They're progressive farming organization. There's a lot of good people there and people that care about the environment, land, food. It was a good time and good food. It's always nice. You got to see your old friend Art Cullen. Yes, I did. It was good to see Art. Fun, I'm sure. Doug Burns, another friend. Um, Josh Mansky, friend, a farmer from the Algona area, who wrote a great piece for uh, um, the Iowa Capital Dispatch for Thanksgiving. He uh, had entertained uh, some, well, I don't know about entertained, but he met with and wandered around northern Iowa with some Ukrainian farmers who had come over. And uh, they had asked him to spread the word about how very much Ukraine appreciated America's support and um, just to ask him to share their story, that they appreciate our support and hope that we continue. And so it was a feel-good Thanksgiving story by Josh, who's just a a great young man. So that that was cool. Sounds like a nice trip. Yeah. Got to see my friend Art Russell, uh, uh, my friend... uh, Chris Jones of the of the notorious uh, book Swine Nation. Yep. He was there. Yeah. Alan Gebert, one of the best farm writers in the world out of Illinois, came over and told some stories, and that was fun. And yeah, I'm, I know I'm forgetting people. Uh, Doug Burns was there, formerly with the Carroll Paper, great Iowa newspaper person. Some people from Progress Iowa were there. Just all kinds of good, well-intentioned people that love America, love the land, love the soil, love farming, and want to make the world a better place. I mean, how could that go wrong? Right. Yeah, it was great. Sounds good. Blast. We got a jam-packed show, as always. And as we missed last week, a lot of the stuff that I had, I was already prepared. We We were set to do the show. It just fell sick. So we're going to discuss a lot of the things I already had planned. But This broke a couple weeks ago where over in Northwest Iowa, the wife of a supervisor in the Sioux City area was charged and convicted by a jury of voter fraud. So more Republican voter fraud right off the bat. And if you are a new listener, by the way, we usually have three or four segments. We start off, of course, this is Iowa Revolution. So we have a very Iowa focus. We talk about Iowa news usually off the top. Then we talk about caucus news, political things that are going on. Then towards the end, we usually take a wider scope, maybe have some good news, and then we uh, cap things off with a top five list every week. So we will talk about one of my pet uh, topics that I like to talk about quite a bit, artificial intelligence. I've got a bad story, and I've got good news from AI this week. So I'm trying to keep it balanced. 
not trying to be too much of a Luddite when it comes to AI. And then we have a top five list this week. Top five celebrity names that connote birds. So last, I should, shouldn't say last week, but the last episode we had, I did top five funniest bird names and that just sort of got me on birds. <laughs> so there you go. So right off the top from CNN, an Iowa woman whose husband ran for Congress and lost the GOP primary in 2020 was convicted by a federal jury last, I shouldn't say last Tuesday, but two Tuesdays ago of a voter fraud scheme during the primary and general elections. Kim Fuang Taylor, age 49 of Sioux City, was convicted of 23 counts of fraudulent voting and 26 counts of providing false information in registering and voting, as well as three counts of fraudulent registration, according to court records. Her husband, Jeremy Taylor, lost the Republican primary in Iowa for the U.S. House in 2020, but was elected as the Woodbury County Supervisor in a general election that year. Prosecutors say Kim Taylor visited households in the Vietnamese community, encouraging residents to fill out voter registration forms and absentee ballot request forms. Some of the residents couldn't read or understand English, according to prosecutors, and she offered to help. Kim Taylor, quote, submitted or caused others to submit dozens of voter registrations, absentee ballot request forms, and absentee ballots containing false information. That's from the Justice Department in a statement. She also, quote, completed and signed voter forms without voters' permission and told others that they could sign on behalf of relatives who were not present. Kim Taylor faces up to five years in prison on each count. A sentencing date hasn't been set yet. And Jeremy Taylor states that he will not resign from his seat on the Woodbury County Board of Supervisors in the wake of his wife's voter fraud conviction. And this was just within the past couple of days because, of course, there's been an outcry and people even on the Board of Supervisors saying you have to step out. And he said on uh, last Tuesday he plans to complete his term on the board but did offer to resign from his position as vice chair. He said, uh, the board chair, Matthew Ung, said this will be a distraction. He is doing the public a disservice by not stepping down. Well, he wants the paycheck. Probably. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what supervisors up there are paid. I'm guessing 50 grand a year. He wants, he wants it. You know he wants it. He doesn't want to give that up. Here's reckless speculation. But Kim Taylor was not alone in, oh, okay. in this scheme. Right. So you... The assumption is that he must have had something to do with this, either helped plan or direct this voter fraud scheme. And of course, that would make sense because a wife doesn't have to testify against her husband and vice versa. So even if they were to charge him, they wouldn't have her as a key witness because she would not, she could just plead the fifth and say, I'm not going to testify against my husband. Well, he, this was when he ran for Congress, right? Yeah, in 2020. And, yeah, and so he did. So, she, yeah, she was involved in fraud of the 2020 election while he was in that primary and was also running for the Woodbury County Board of Supervisors. And he got hammered. I mean, all of those. In votes, the primary. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So all of those fake fraudulent votes that are going to get her jail time. Were for nothing. He got what? It didn't even make it close. It wasn't like it was a close race. The other part of this that's troubling to me is voter fraud in general. But just the way that she did it—to go to a Vietnamese community and just take advantage of these yeah. poor folks that had no idea what she was trying to do—they thought, "Here's this nice lady trying to help us vote," and she was doing the exact opposite. Right. 
well, we're lucky that that the law, the you know, the county attorney recognized that they were the victims, not co-conspirators. It's odd to me that that stories like these, the reason why I continued to want to talk about this right off the bat was because it doesn't seem to me like there's been a whole lot of news coverage about it. I mean, we hear for the last three years about voter fraud and people's distrust in our political system and our ability to count votes and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems like every single time we hear about voter fraud, it was the Republicans every single time. So we need to pound on the damn table and say, you are the frauds. You are the ones, if anybody is doing something illegal, you're the ones that continue to be convicted of fraud. Yeah, absolutely. What was it? Oh, you know, a number of people in, you know, that live where Trump does. In Florida. In Florida, exactly. in the same county, Mar-a-Lago right. is, they were convicted of voter fraud. And wasn't, I can't remember which state it was, but it was some Appalachian state. So Kentucky, North Carolina, something like that. Maybe you'll be able to help me out. But a son actually testified against his father in a voter fraud case. And it was very compelling testimony. He was disgusted by what, and his father was, I can't remember what he was, but he was a state senator, somebody with a pretty good amount of power that was involved in this voter fraud scheme. Somebody listening may be able to tip us off. But needless to say, once again, a Republican committing voter fraud. Well, I mean, yes, that's... um... That's true, of course, but the worst crime is the restriction of voters, the, you know, the, our voting rights, taking away machines from... Taking away polling places yeah, yeah. that are conveniently located for right. black, brown populations, yeah. poorer communities, making yeah. it harder and harder and harder for those people to actually show up on the day of voting and make their voice heard. Yeah, and the uh, drawing lines of the districts, the gerrymandering and sure. all of that. Yeah. yeah, so no, that's the Republicans are in it. Up to their necks. Right. Well, and then the Supreme Court a few years ago got rid of the Civil Rights Act. So all of those laws go out the window, too. And all of the southern states have gone back to a lot of the things that were restricted under the Civil Rights Act. So things seem to be going backwards in terms of the ability to vote in this country. Well, in, in Mississippi, this you know past election, this most immediate election in November, some of the majority black polling places, they ran out of uh, forms. Of course. Yeah. I'm guessing that that was not a mistake. I'm guessing. <laughs> no. no. Let's, get, let's get into some cock talk. <laughs> Caucus news. So I keep quoting you to yourself. This is the second episode in a row that I've done this, and I hadn't done this previously, but this is from Dr. Bob in Deep Midwest. Make sure you follow him there. That is a substack deep Midwest politics and culture. Quoting Dr. Bob, here I want to share that I've concluded that much of what reporters, including me, are doing this election cycle is chasing, perpetuating, and creating red herrings and misdirection, in part because we are acting like this is a normal presidential cycle. Let me give an example with my own work. Last week I had a piece in time why Senator Tim Scott failed in Iowa. I was simply following my curiosity in approaching the topic, why did he fail? During a normal election cycle, it would have had a normal and helpful analysis, I hope. In retrospect, it feels trivial when democracy is under assault. The question all reporters should be asking is which Republican presidential candidates are a threat to democracy. 
and a series of articles, the Washington Post has argued that Trump advocates are working toward building a fascist military dictatorship. New York Times reporters have examined the Heritage Foundation's America 2025 report that would reshape America under a second Trump administration. Among the plans are weaponizing the Justice Department against Trump's enemies and filling the civil service and military leadership with Trump loyalists. It would end democracy as we know it. Good on you to recognize when you may have been short-sighted, maybe would be the right word, in covering each individual Republican candidate and not looking at the bigger picture of what you said is the threat to democracy. Right. For me, it's the end of hyperbole. I mean, I'm going to call them out. They're going to, they're going to be fascists. They are fascists. It's the end of democracy. In the past, people would have said, oh, you're exaggerating. It's hyperbole. And, and so in that environment, the stuff that I do that doesn't address head-on that challenge and the stuff other reporters do that doesn't address head on that challenge. We're not doing anybody any favors. We're not doing democracy any favors by writing the kind of story. You know, I wrote it, you know, just like it was a normal election cycle. But the problem is, is I can't always be, you know, be saying again and again and again that Trump is a threat to democracy. I have I to write about this. other things. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it was an interesting article. And I think regardless of what your feelings are about this cycle, this caucus that's coming up, it is kind of funny that a candidate that is has the evangelical bona fides that Tim Scott has. I think that's part of the story, that people don't necessarily care about that as long as Donald Trump is in the race. I think that this may be wishful thinking, but once he's out, maybe we go back to that George W. Bush Christian coalition. You need to have the Bob Vanderplots and the Iowa Freedom Summit and all these different groups back you and endorse you for your chance to win in the Iowa caucuses. But that's just not the reality of the situation right now, which is kind of your point. Yeah. Well, and it's like if I read another article about Biden's age... Yeah. I mean, that's enough. We yep. don't need any more. Yep. And so it's an old guy that's doing good things versus an old guy doing bad things and the end of democracy. So every story about Biden's age, his whatever, mental acuity, uh, his uh, paying off Hunter's uh, <laughs> car, you know, and getting reimbursed for paying off his his vehicle, his truck, or whatever. Those were all red herrings. Oh, yeah. They're all to distract us. So all of those stories are a waste of time. Uh, One of the people that I write for, I'm not going to say who, communicated to me directly, an editor, said, yes, there's only one. After I wrote that, he said, yes, there's only one story, and it's about democracy and whether it shall continue or not. And so if you look at, you know... (laughs) A lot of the stories I'm, you know, if you should just pull up, you know, pull up the, you know, any politically focused newspaper, website or, you know, television, whatever. And if it's talking about other things, ask yourself, is this important? Is this really meaningful? Is this, does this help advance democracy? And if it doesn't, then maybe, I mean, some things should be written. I mean, Nikki Haley clearly has a path to the White House and writing about Nikki Haley, I think is okay, but you know, talking about, you know, the fact that Biden hasn't built enough 
electronic uh, recharging stations. I guess that's a story, but I'm using it as a, as a criticism to not vote for Biden. It's just... Exactly. Like, oh, he hasn't done enough of yeah. this. Well, yeah. Donald Trump's not going to do any of that. Right. So it's not like if you vote against Joe Biden that we have a better shot of having more charging stations or having a better right. shot at curbing climate control. Right. So no, they're just a bunch of wasted stories. And that sort of leads me into this next story. So this is from Axios. Former President Trump revealed that he's, quote, seriously looking at alternatives to the Affordable Care Act, calling the failure to repeal and replace Obamacare during his administration, quote, a low point for the Republican Party. Why it matters, ahead of last year's midterms, Republicans effectively gave up on campaigning to kill the ACA, acknowledging that the program was popular and fully embedded in the U.S. healthcare system. Despite having full control of the White House and Congress, Republicans' long-running efforts to repeal and replace the ACA were defeated in 2017 when Senator John McCain delivered his famous thumbs-down vote on the Senate floor. I bring up that story not because it's significant in any way, quite the opposite. Why is Axios doing this story? Yeah, Axios you know what is I mean? the worst. Like, who cares yeah. what he's going to do about the Affordable Care Act? Whatever he says about it is a lie anyway. Yeah. It's not like he can do anything about it. He already tried and failed. And it's not like he's going to have a better shot next time around. Well, the story is bigger than that. And the story, and yes, you can't take him at, a, at face value for anything. But the Republicans are going to come after all of our health care. Obamacare, they're going to come after Medicare, Medicaid. They're going to, Medicaid, and they're going to come after Social Security. Yeah, and they have, and it's you know Republicans. It's not so much Trump with respect to Social Security; it's the other Republicans in the Senate sure, and the yeah. House. Yeah, and uh, I think Trump knows that Social Security is a bad thing to get rid of, but the other people don't. Or even raising the age to seventy, they don't understand. They've never met anybody that spent you know, years on a plant floor or pounded nails or busted knuckles on with wrenches or, you know, chained to a keyboard. I think I've talked about this before, but they don't know how bad our bodies can be at with with a lot of the work that a lot of us do or have done. Right. So, yeah, we're going to have to work longer in order to get Social Security and especially Medicare when I need that just to continue to work. Right. I, mean, I need health right. insurance at a low premium just so I can continue to work and make whoever their, you know, Christmas bonus for this year. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another thing is, is that that's what we should be writing about. When's the last time that you've read that, oh, uh, Republicans are going to take away Social Security or raise the age of it? From a large media outlet? Yeah. Forever. Yeah. We get that sort of thing from Iowa Starting Line. We get plenty of that stuff from local good yeah. news sources. But it's not a part of the news cycle ever. It's one of those things that it seems like it's too big of a topic to condense into a 10-minute segment on CNN or MSNBC. Right. But it is, it's very simple to talk about with people when one side wants to keep it and the other side wants to either get rid of it gut it or raise the ages to receive those benefits. And they always call them entitlements. Right. As if we haven't paid into this right. our entire lives. Like, yes, I'm entitled to my own fucking money back. Yeah. Yeah. I've been paying every year since 1968. Right. Yeah. And that adds up. And and it's and so what they say, oh well, we're living longer. Well, 
we're living longer, and so they say, we'll let everybody over 50, you know, we'll grandfather them in. But the thing is, just because you're living longer doesn't mean that your body isn't more beat up. Right. I mean, people that are 30 are going to be just as beat up if they're in the construction trades. You know, for, you know, I was talking with a guy, I was, you know, I forget where I was, but I was at a hotel bar somewhere, and, and a guy came in, and we were just chatting, and, and uh, he uh, works heavy machinery. And, you know, I said, well, you know, at least you're in a climate-controlled environment. He says, yeah, but my guts are, are you know, jiggle all day long, every day, yeah. my brain. And so he's just getting all beat up sitting in that construction, you know, vehicle. Yeah, imagine, whatever, the, whatever. imagine the forces on his spine every yeah. time he turns and, yeah. And, you know, and it's, you know, like a snowplow even. I've been on a s- snowplow and riding along with the with the driver. And I tell you, the snow has different textures. And, it's, you know, with the drifts and some are easy, some are hard. But you're being hammered in that snowplow. And so a lot of the things, and walking on a plant floor can kill your knees. I don't know. And, you know, keyboard carpal tunnel syndrome. and in a, Semi-truck and, drivers, I mean, one of the yeah. biggest employees... Uh, ways that men are employed in this country is through transportation, whether it's semi-trucks or just driving trucks around town or driving a bus. I mean, that takes a toll on you. Right. Everything that we do, all those, yeah, those that do repetitive kinds of things. I'm in radio, so I don't want to say too much because well, your I've got this cushy chair that I can sit in all day and yeah, I don't have to, but, yeah. it's not too strenuous. No, I mean, and it's But I also don't want to work until I'm 75 years old. Right. And that's in a time, you know, where there's and by not the way, a lot of... Let's get back to the point where it's like, you know what? If we live longer, how about we improve the human condition and actually are able to enjoy yeah. those twilight years of our life? But the Republicans are like, no, we're living longer, so that means you have to work longer. It's like, yeah. no, we're working our freaking asses off. Productivity has skyrocketed since the 1950s, and here we are still having to work until we're 65. It's like they should lower the retirement age, if anything. Yeah. We're America, for God's sakes. This isn't China. Yeah, I'll preach it. I'm trying to. That's why we have this podcast. And I think there's a lot of people saying, yes, why are we having these conversations where they're going to take these things away from us that we've already paid into for our entire lives? Yeah. And And people always tell me like, oh, you better be investing. I mean, I've got a 401k through the office, but I'm not going to make, that's not going to make me enough money to retire one day. It might be some extra money that would go towards the great maw of trying to keep up with buying groceries and essentials, et cetera. Insurance. But people say, well, you got to set aside money for retirement because you're not going to have Social Security when you retire. So it's like, well, why am I paying Social Security now then? I see it coming out of my check. All you have to do is means test it. Above a certain level, the rich don't get as much. Well, yeah. Good luck getting the Republicans yeah. to go along yeah. with that. That's the problem. Yeah. They're not the running freaking out. problem yeah, every single time. And it's only just to give more rich people more money mm-hmm. every single time. Yeah. It's not ever always. to help the poor. And they're the party of Christians, please. I told you I was chopping at the bits to get at this today because they're fake Christians. They are, absolutely. Jesse and I were having this conversation last night. I mean, if you actually see the words that Jesus talked about, none of them live even close to what he would what he was preaching. No. Well, and there, some of them are admitting it, that he was too soft. And exactly. that we need to be harder. Than, right. We need to be like Trump. We need to be strong yeah. and tough. Yeah. Yeah. No, Jesus was a wimp yeah. to them. I've read that. 
So let's get on to a wider scope. I mentioned we were having two stories about AI today. The first one is is very bad news to me. I'm sure you, just like me, read a lot of Sports Illustrated growing up. It was the most venerable of sports magazines. It employed some of the best writers, whether it was sports or anything else, in the country. So this is from Futurism. There was nothing in Drew Ortiz's author biography at Sports Illustrated to suggest that he was anything other than human. Quote, Drew has spent much of his life outdoors and is excited to guide you through his never-ending list of the best products to keep you from falling to the perils of nature, it read. Again, quoting, nowadays there is rarely a weekend that goes by where Drew isn't out camping, hiking, or just back on his parents' farm. The only problem? Outside of Sports Illustrated, Drew Ortiz doesn't seem to exist. He has no social media presence and no publishing history. And even more strangely, his profile photo on Sports Illustrated is for sale on a website that sells AI-generated headshots, where he's described as neutral white young adult male with short brown hair and blue eyes. Ortiz isn't the only AI-generated author published by Sports Illustrated, according to a person involved with creation of the content who has to be kept anonymous to protect them from professional repercussions. Quote, there's a lot. I was like, what are they? This is ridiculous. This person does not exist. Quoting again, at the bottom of the page, there would be a photo of a person and some fake description of them like, oh, John lives in Houston, Texas. He loves yard games and hanging out with his dog, Sam, stuff like that. It's just crazy. The AI author's writing often sounds like it was written by an alien. One Ortiz article, for instance, warns that volleyball, quote, can be a little tricky to get into, especially without an actual ball to practice with. That's just hard to believe. Isn't it? Yeah. Sports Illustrated did come out after this was published from Futurism, and they said that this was from a third party that they had contracted with. So this wasn't through Sports Illustrated, but it was a very word salady response probably to a very direct accusation. Probably had AI write it. It, that's what it looked like, honestly. There was a lot of people that were joking, oh, is this written by AI, this response? And regardless, their their pictures and bios were listed under the Sports Illustrated staff tab. So it would say Sports Illustrated, Drew Ortiz. There were several different, and that was not the only one. There were several different AI, or at least assumed AI writers for Sports Illustrated, which has been gutted in the past 10 years to begin with. They were bought out, and now it's a skeleton staff. Nobody with much credibility even works there anymore. They don't pay the people that write for them anything, and now they're not paying anybody anything because they're just having AI do it. Yeah, that's a sad, you know, state of affairs. I grew up loving Sports Illustrated. It Same. Was, and it was had some great writing. But who, was there no editorial process that looked at this and said, this is crap? Right. That's the almost scarier thing to me. Yeah. They just must be publishing anything and everything. Exactly. They are. That's the thing. They've been so gutted that there probably is only about three editors trying to edit so, you know, countless articles that are coming through. And they've got this fan-sided thing where they basically just pay per article. It's not like they have a lot of staff writers anymore. So they're basically working these writers to death just for, you know, 80 bucks for 200 words. You know what I mean? Just very... Yeah almost sweatshop conditions is what it's been described as. And that's even before AI has entered the picture. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, we'll see what other, you know, what other magazines, newspapers go this direction. Yeah, I mean, we had this discussion before. There was uh, in Gannett Publishing, which publishes the Des Moines Register. We haven't seen any examples from the Des Moines Register that specifically used AI, but Gannett has been using AI specifically for like high school sports recaps, where it's like they get the stats and then they write up a little paragraph of what happened in the game. And it's like, what's the point of that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. And the thing is that with the loss of reporting, even in sports, I mean, well, not real writing in sports. First, let me say some of the best writing out there used to be in sports. And it was telling wonderful stories, lots of background, interesting angles, different perspectives, sort of held together the fabric of society that you can be a Chiefs fan or a Vikings fan or whatever, and it cross-cuts all elements of society, all races, all, you know, genders, um, income levels. It's sort of the glue that holds society together. Things like sports. And so the stories are rich. And we share those stories. And we build on those stories. And we build community on those stories. And you get into a lot of different topics through sports. Whether it's race or gender or sex. Or there's a lot of different ways that you can connect with people through sports. And tell a story that may connect with somebody that wouldn't think twice about a black kid from Memphis or you know what I mean? And then they, you make, then you make them care about those people and maybe have them reset some of their ideas about people. Well, the thing is there's so much money in sports. You think there would be some money. I mean, aren't we paying or isn't Nebraska or somebody paying, you know, some coach, you know, $5,000 a second just to not work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and so, but we can't pull together a good, I'm sure there's other good sports magazines out there. Well, it's tough because, as you and I know, we are in the news business. I work for a primarily news radio station. You were a newsman for 15, 16 years. It's hard for newspapers and any kind of news programming that makes you pay for it. Sports Illustrated, you had to have a subscription or you had to pay for it when you went to the newsstand. And now people don't want to do that anymore. Well, why doesn't the NFL... You know, put together, you know, an independent, you know, journalistic outfit. Well, they do have like NFL.com that they do have staff writers. Same thing with MLB. A lot of teams have their own staff writers that are basically PR people. But, you know, we'll write up game recaps and that sort of stuff. But we want real journalism. That's the thing. It's not objective. So even if they, the NFL is not going to ever actually have a truly objective news service. I mean, we, I think, talked about this previously on the podcast. But remember when PBS had that? special that came out about concussions in the NFL. ESPN was working with PBS on that documentary, and they were forced by the NFL to disassociate and take their name off of that documentary. So it still was released by PBS, but even the NFL has so much power that they can force Disney, who owns ESPN, to back off an objective report about concussions in the NFL. So it's that's the other thing, too, is this loss of objectivity right because most of what you read is they have some sort of angle or some they're being paid to tell you a certain story 
and also paid to not tell you some stories. Right. More important. No, it needs to be independent, but it's, it's there's so much money out there, you think something could be done. And here's the thing, too. That Speaking of that, one thing that I've been thinking about recently, I don't have the Red Zone channel. I don't pay extra through YouTube TV to have that. But... One, I think one of the things why people like the Red Zone channel is because it cuts away from injuries. Injuries happen very often. If you watch an NFL game on a Sunday, just one three-and-a-half-hour game, you're liable to see at least half a dozen injuries, varying in severity, but torn ankle to all the way up to a, a very bad concussion or you know broken arm or whatever. But when you watch the Red Zone, the NFL filters all of that out. So you don't see, you might see somebody go down with an injury, but then boom, we immediately cut to, let's get some more action. Let's get more plays in here. So it's like, you don't even see the results of the brutality of the game. You know what I mean? Well, they don't want us thinking about that. Correct. They want They want us to have our boys play football. Right. Yeah. Not yeah. worry about Got to keep hurt. feeding the machine. Yeah. And yeah, they don't really care about the human bodies that are behind it at all. No. They aren't very well paid NFL. I mean, they're they're well paid for, in terms of you and me, but in terms of what they're actually doing to their bodies, they don't get paid nearly enough. Especially the fact that most you know we think of the quarterbacks and the big time money makers and the receivers and defensive linemen and that sort of stuff. But it's like those offensive linemen are probably the some of the least paid, especially the interior linemen, and they're just bashing their head every single play. Yeah. And then they retire and they have all these injuries and. Dead at 45. They have CTE where they have cognitive issues, behavioral issues, and many of them end up committing suicide just because they cannot function. They just can't function with a a non-working brain, basically. And this is all related to your question about AI and Sports Illustrated. I think that's important, though. I think that's where it leads to is us not having the information that we need to make a correct decision on whether or not we continue to give these people our money. Because that's what they want. They just want our attention and our money. They don't want us to know anything about the the dirty underbelly of what the sport is. But that's what Sports Illustrated used to do. That's what we're talking about. That's what those objective, good writers and reporters did. They went looking for stories that the people in charge didn't want us to know about. Yeah. And it was great. Yes. Great in its heyday. For sure. So now let's talk about some good uses of AI. This is from CNN. Tomato growers in central India have been increasingly worried about the volatility that extreme weather events have brought to the region. For much of the area, the last decade has been punctuated by severe droughts that led to significant crop loss, impacting the livelihoods of local farmers. On the other side of the world, Silicon Valley startup Climate AI is developing an artificial intelligence uh, platform to evaluate how vulnerable crops are to warming temperatures over the next two decades. The tool uses data on the climate, water, and soil of a particular location to measure how viable the landscape will be for growing in the coming years. Maharashtra, India was one of its first case studies in 2021. Farmers could go into the uh, Climate AI app and input what seed they were growing and where they wanted to plant it. 
With that data, Climate AI ran simulations and found that extreme heat and drought would lead to an approximately 30% decrease in tomato output in the region over the next two decades. It warned growers that they should change their strategy. The results proved pivotal. Tomato producers adjusted their business plans by switching to more climate-resilient seed varieties and shifting the times they plant tomato seeds. Finding new growing locations usually takes a while for farmers affected by climate change, but, quote, now it can happen in a matter of minutes, and it also saves them a lot of costs, according to Hamanshu Gupta, who grew up in India and is a co-founder of Climate AI. Yeah, well, I wasn't aware of this until you, you know, put it on our lesson plan, I was going to say, <laughs> our, our agenda. Sure. But And so I looked it up, and I tried to fiddle around with it a little bit, but it doesn't really let you. Right. Yeah, you, I'm sure you have to pay for the service, right? right to right. input the data, yeah. Yeah, to even get to mess around with it at all, you have to enter your address, your email. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk to a human? Right. And so, <laughs> right. So I didn't get a chance, but it looks like it's a really good use of science. And, you know, there's a lot of things that could have been done without AI with that. I mean, these kinds of predictive things are happening with crops all the time. They're called, but the what they said, I think that the... the Thing of it is, whereas that's true, that might take months to figure out. Right. Whereas this has, you know, this tool, at least according to the people that are selling it. So <laughs> who knows how much we can trust Hamanshu Gupta, who grew up in India and is a co-founder of Climate AI. Of course, he's going to say it can do all these things in a matter of seconds. But if it can, that does save a lot of time and money. Yeah. True. So, and the thing... It's a great dichotomy because a lot of what the discussion around AI is, is why are we having AI create art when we should be having it do this stuff? You know, you see all these AI pictures and people can put in prompts of things that they want to see and AI will show you right away or you put in some information or you ask chat GPT a question and it will write, you know, this essay for you, or it could even write a novel, I'm sure. I'm sure it has. And I, exactly. I'm sure it has, or could. And it's like, what's the point of that, though? Like, why, even if it can, why would, why would I want to write a novel written by a machine? What if it wrote a really good novel? I don't think it could. Because to me, to me, a novel is is communication between two human beings, mm-hmm. and it's not just one way communication either. There is a conversation going on while you're reading, especially when you're reading a really good novel and you're sort of learning about the human condition. Mm-hmm. That's where it really sucked you in, and you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. It's almost like a religious experience when you're reading a really good novel. That, you're not going to have that experience if you know that it was written by a machine. I would think not, but... They could also lie and say... I mean, that's what Sports Illustrated is doing, too. They're lying and saying that this is a real person because they want you to read it, and they assume, I would imagine, yeah. that if we knew that it was AI, that we wouldn't read wouldn't it. Wouldn't read it, wouldn't bother. Right. But I don't know. We could go into all kinds of different worlds that are created by, I guess, computer programmers. I mean, people play... You know, oh, um, like first person shooter games. You sure. know, you're interacting, you could do that. Why can't you transfer that to a novel, to reading a novel? It's just a different form of entertainment. That's true. And for some novels, it might be okay if you're like into a sci fi or adventure novels or something like that where you don't necessarily 
you're not reading it for that human connection. You're reading it for more of an escape or just for entertainment purposes. Then maybe you would be fine with just reading a really good novel by an AI author. But I still don't think that people would knowingly want to do that. I, you know, I just suspect there's going to be a genre emerge that probably, you know, addresses a segment of society, maybe young people or something, that is, you know, just as good as K-pop. Sure. In terms of music and be that kind of, of niche that expands and sucks in all kinds of people and that they just love it. And uh, I don't know, I'm just thinking of a fad and I just, you know, that's so popular among so many people and and it's sort of and it's well it's not our country or culture so it seems different and interesting exactly. and intriguing so i might want to if, if it could build an an interesting other world ethnography for me in a novel form i would i think i would read it and there is a lot of people that are into like cyberpunk and that sort of lifestyle and that sort of personality might not be the right word but there is certainly, I think, at least some sort of a subsect of people that would be interested in reading artificial intelligence, poetry, novellas. Now, now here's the niche that I think we could make a lot of money at using AI. Well, should we cover the money? <laughs> we or, probably, or should we share this? No, because we, because we wouldn't do it because we have ethics and morals and principles. Speak for yourself. <laughs> no, I think that what I mean, I think that you what you'd make crazy money on is an AI generated series of novels with Trump, you know, Trump in Vietnam. And, oh my God! And and just you know, riding around Trump and different players and putting different people in, you know, Trump being a foot soldier and saving people and blowing things up and. Yeah. Yes. Trump is protagonist. That would sell like hotcakes. Yeah. Or That's you have a some other idea. But we wouldn't do it. No. Um, but you got me intrigued because that is the easiest way to, to make money these days. And it's it seems just yeah. follow Trump around and, and sell Trump crap. And it just be pulpy, kind of simple. Oh, yeah. And he always gets the girl in the end, yeah. and there's sex scenes with Trump, and I'm sure it's very, yeah, like you said, very pulpy and, yeah. and sure. hagiography, basically, yeah. where it's just building up this myth of Trump. And we wouldn't we wouldn't write it. Right. We wouldn't we, have to we, put we ourselves to, through that. Yeah. We wouldn't want to touch it. Right. You know, but to let the computer generate that novel, I think we, I think we should try it. <laughs> that is, I was going to say, that is a good idea. We might... Just need to try it just to see what it's. We can't out. say Trump. We have to call him something else. Drumpf. Well, like his original name. <laughs> but I, I would Tom get Drump. I would. I would guess that we could do it and copyright it, and then get mega money to fund it. We would be well, that's evil. The other thing we too, would be isn't evil. That, well, that's kind of weird too. That you bring up copywriting. Like, can you copyright AI produced material? I know that that's been discussed. Yeah, but. I mean, I would assume that you would have, that you could, because you brought up musical artists. There yeah. are AI musical artists. There was even I saw a tweet from it was a promoted tweet from it was this first ever fully AI musical artist where they quote unquote write their own songs and it's a an actual AI depiction of a, a female artist, you know, in her twenties yeah. and yeah. very attractive. 
woman. And so, yeah, I mean, do those songs get copyrighted? Or can any, for example, we're a podcast, so we can't play music that's copyrighted. Would we be able to play AI music? Oh, yeah. But that's the thing. What if it is copyrighted? If it were able to be copyrighted, then we wouldn't be able to. Well, all these, you know, so-called brilliant tech bros out there talking about how AI, you know, they can't be copyrighted or that they it, that all of our, I think Liz Lenz, who does a really nice Substack, she talked about how, um, she talked about how all the big tech bros are saying there can't be compensation, for, you know, for what we take out of you know people's work out of copyrighted works, and so she's making the argument that once again the big rich guys are ripping off our stuff, right. exploiting our labor so they can make money. So yeah, that's all they do. Right. That's the only business model there is in Silicon Valley is taking other people's stuff and making money off of it. Yeah, so maybe like what does Facebook do? Facebook doesn't do anything. We are right. the labor. Same thing with any social media. They don't do anything other than providing it. You know, so they have a make, bunch of servers and provide a platform. So let's make AI work for us. Let's set the scenarios of Trump. Let's give him mentors and pretend, <laughs> you know, people that challenge him and different hoops he has to jump through to, you know, to succeed. And right. The like the hero's journey, like yeah, Joseph exactly. Campbell. Right. Let's put, yeah, let's put it in the hero's journey. That would be very easy money. to do. Yeah. You could just ask GP, Chat GPT, just Donald Trump, hero's journey. And I'm sure it would. You know, and yeah. just say I want toss two hundred pages. You yeah, know, just toss. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to experiment. We are. You are. Yeah, it's always down to me. Isn't it? <laughs> Speaking of always down to me, we've got a top five list. We're already nearing the end. I told you I was chopping the bit. I was ready to go today, and I knew that this would fly by. So let's cap it off with top five celebrity names that connote birds. Number five, Dan Quayle. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's good. I like that. <laughs> Number four, Robin Williams. That's good, too. Number three, Goose Gossage. Goose Gossage is, is maybe the best because he was goose-like. Yes, he looked goose-like. Also a very good pitcher. One of those guys that's kind of borderline Hall of Fame. He's not a Hall of Famer, but one of those guys that you feel like he should be yeah, in the Hall of Fame. I think so. You know, just doesn't quite have the numbers to get there. Number two is Ethan Hawke. That's good. And number one, Larry Bird. Larry Bird. Yeah. Larry Bird's great. He's bird-like, too. He's, he is. He looks very big bird-like. Well, what about that woman's basketball player named Bird? Sue Bird. Sue Bird. we got a tie for first, then. Larry and Sue Bird. Yeah. No relation, I don't think. Although they are two of the greatest players in basketball history. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other birds. Similar games, too. Very good shooters, passers. Kind of an all-around player. Yeah, we could do... She was actually at an Iowa game recently, Sue Bird was, with uh, Jason Sudeikis. And he danced. Oh, did he? I didn't see that. Oh, you haven't... It's like of course viral. He, of course he danced. He He's stood Ted Lasso. Up and, yeah. yeah. He stood up and danced. And, Love it. And everybody loved it. It's I've never like watched, viral. I never watched Ted Lasso. Uh, we don't have yeah. Apple TV, but I love Jason Sudeikis. Love his movies, and even back to his SNL days, I always thought he was one of the better cast members during his time there. Yeah. Never heard of him. Doesn't connote birds, though, Jason Sudeikis. No, no. <laughs> and there's nobody named Penguin or... No, I don't think so. No boobies. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a funny, oh. funny name. Although there's probably there's probably some guys out there with the nickname Booby. Can't really think of any right now. There's a Booger, Booger McFarland. 
He got he, remember he did Monday Night Football. He had a booger mobile, like no. a little cart that had a TV camera on it, and no, he could like I go up that. and down the sidelines. No, not part of my universe. That's okay. Honestly, you didn't miss much. But it was just funny to call it the booger mobile. Really, I think that's the only reason they did it was just so they could have a vehicle called the booger mobile. I wouldn't have found it funny. I'd have found it juvenile. Yeah. The fact that he gets called Booger on national TV is baffling. Yeah, how, he, how he let that <laughs> I'd be like, no, 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 no. I'm not going by Booger, folks. Yeah. Although he did make it to the height of ESPN. I mean, when you're part of the Monday Night Football crew, that's about as high up you can get in, in sports, really. So, good on Booger. <laughs> Anything else to add this week, Dr. Bob? No, I think we've... Covered some ground. We did cover a lot of ground. Of course, we will be back. Um, hopefully, we all stay healthy. We'll be through uh, all the way through December uh, and beyond. Uh, next week, I'm not exactly sure, but we need to start doing some Christmas lists. So we need to do like top five Christmas carols, top five Christmas movies. So we'll be doing that Die in Hard. several weeks. Die Hard is in my top five, by the way. Yep. So you agree with me that Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Of course movie. it is. Yes, thank you. Of course it is. It's not even an argument. By the way, I did get an email today. We'll do a quick top five of the top five Iowa. So this is Iowa's favorite Christmas movies. Number five was... A Christmas Story. Number four was Elf. There was a tie at number two with National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. The 2000 version, which was Jim Carrey, which mm-hmm. I that was my that's like my least favorite yeah. of the Grinches. Uh, number one, of course, is Home Alone. Everybody yeah. That's a fantastic movie. So anyway, there you go. There's there's Iowa's favorite. Yeah, top five. and that's also pretty. I shouldn't say similar because I'm not a fan of Christmas Vacation. Also, not a huge fan of Elf. It was one of those things where it was fine the first time I saw it, but now it's just completely overplayed. I like mixed nuts as a Christmas movie. I know. In fact, I might still have that DVD. Did I never give that back to you? I don't recall. I was going to say, I might still have that because I, I don't think I watched it. In fact, I remember when you gave it to me, I was actually, I think, sick at that time. So we just didn't watch it at that time. And then I just sort of forgot about it. So Well, it's a good thing family video is closed, right? Oh, like $2,000 <laughs> late fees. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, family video, don't, don't uh, come after us, please. Uh, Dr. Bob, always a pleasure. Can't Indeed. wait till next time. Again, make sure you follow Dr. Bob on Substack. He has Deep Midwest. Also, Cedar Creek Nature Notes. You can follow him on Instagram as well. I, I love your Instagram. And it seems like you're getting more and more like likes and followers too. Yeah, it's fun. You do like music and uh, you had a really cool picture of a little like farm pond that I saw yeah. today on Instagram. Just kind of a uh, pre-winter, you know, you can yeah. kind of see where it's starting to kind of get chilly, but not quite iced over yet. Nope, not quite. And that's always the tail end of my walk. I figure, you know, as I'm walking, I figure out what photo I'm going to use from that day. And then I add the, add the location and pick some music and hop, hop into my truck and head home. Sounds good. So again, yeah, Cedar Creek Nature Notes, Deep Midwest. Make sure you follow on Substack. And of course, follow us on Substack as well. We are Iowa Revolution. We're also at Iowa Revolution on Twitter. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.